I thank God for our musicians and for all who have led us so beautifully in worship today. We are beginning a new sermon series this morning called Galatians Afresh. We are taking a fresh look at Paul's ancient epistle to the churches in Galatia, and I'm sure we have much to learn here. We're going to start by looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, which many consider to be the heartbeat of this letter. I'll read from the New Revised Standard Version, and the title of the sermon is Justified by Faith. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I don't know about you, but I love a good courtroom drama. My favorite novel is To Kill a Mockingbird. One of my favorite movies is A Time to Kill. And my favorite TV courtroom drama of all time is Matlock. Uh, some of y'all might remember Matlock. Matlack was a, a prime-time TV series in the 80s and 90s starring Andy Griffith as criminal defense attorney Ben Matlock. Matlock would investigate each case carefully, discovering clues that others would miss in order to identify the perpetrator of the crime. Once he found out who really did it, Matlock would adroitly get his client off the hook. He often did this by calling the guilty party to the stand and proving their guilt in front of everybody in open court. He would make his case in a folksy way that was unconventional but brilliant. Sometimes he would get loud, sometimes he would be quieter, and many times Right when you thought Matlock had finished making his case, he would turn around and come back with one more point, and that would be the clincher. He would shake hands with his client, smile a big smile, and the credits would roll. <laughs> of course, real-life court proceedings are quite different from the sensationalized depictions in books movies, and TV shows. Actual courtrooms are not designed for entertainment, but for justice. We have courts at the county level, state level, 
and federal level to mete out justice in society. Yet as vitally important as all of these courtrooms are, there is another courtroom that rises above them all. There is another courtroom that is transcendent, authoritative, and ultimate. This is the courtroom where God presides as judge. During the Old Testament period, God's judgment was anticipated as part of the end times. For example, Psalm 98 says, God is coming to judge the earth. God will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The New Testament likewise envisions a divine courtroom where God's final judgment will be rendered. For example, Romans 14 says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Everyone has an appointment in God's courtroom. God is coming to judge the world in order to set everything right, in order to establish perfect justice throughout all creation. Since each of us will inevitably appear before the divine court, we ought to have a keen interest in where we stand with God. In this regard, Paul is as clear as any biblical writer that every person has violated God's will. Just as 1 Kings 8 says, there is no one who does not sin. And just as Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. So Paul says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is universal. Everyone has rebelled against God in some way or another. Everyone has disobeyed God, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Everyone has fallen short of God's standards. Everyone has committed various infractions in thought, in word, and in deed. We are all sinful. This is the easiest part of the gospel message to prove because it's so obvious. If we were to appear in God's courtroom on our own merits then, we'd be in a jam. But listen to Paul. He has the courtroom in mind in Galatians 2.16. We know this because he uses the term justified three times in this one verse. The Greek term translated justified means to be set right in God's sight. To be put right with God. To be declared righteous. The word derives from the legal context where ancient judges had the responsibility to reach a verdict. The judge would hear arguments from two opposing sides and in the end, the judge would declare one party justified. This meant they were righteous or innocent in the eyes of the court. 
The closest parallel in modern-day America, I suppose, is when a defendant is declared not guilty. Justification, therefore, pertains to one's standing before God. It evokes the image of God handing down a verdict in the heavenly court. In order for us to be justified in God's courtroom, we might think we need to make up for everything we've done wrong. Or we might think we need to follow God's rules more stringently from here on out so that we can deliver a five-star spiritual and moral performance that will impress God. But Paul says, no one will be justified by works of the law. The phrase works of the law refers to the many actions involved in obeying the Old Testament law, such as honoring your parents, loving the Lord your God, abstaining from pork, loving your neighbor, remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, circumcising all the males, leaving part of your harvest unpicked so that the poor and the alien can eat it, and so on and so forth. None of that, says Paul, will justify a person in God's court. We might well ask then, what will justify us? Do we have any hope as we look toward the final judgment in God's courtroom? Indeed we do. For Paul says a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the key to justification in God's court. The best translation of the Greek is that we are justified through the faith of Christ or through the faithfulness of Christ. Paul is referring to how Christ was faithful to God in his death on the cross. This means we are justified not by any of our own works, but by Christ's work on the cross. We are justified not by anything we do, but by everything Christ has done. We are justified not by the Old Testament law, but by the death of Christ. Christ died for our sins. Paul puts it like this a few verses later in Galatians 2.20. Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. Listen to how personal the gospel is for Paul. Christ loves me. Christ died for me. Christ loves each of us personally, died for each of us personally, and justifies each of us personally. We are set right with God and declared righteous in God's court by virtue of Christ and his work on the cross. There is no to-do list for justification. There are no prerequisites. There are no forms you have to fill out. There are no qualifications to meet. There's no rule book to follow. There are no community service hours to complete. We are sinners, and Christ died to justify us in God's sight. We are called righteous 
innocent, not guilty. The verdict is not based on our merit, but rather is a pure gift of God's grace through Christ. We don't have to worry about being unworthy of God's love. Christ died for us. We don't have to worry about not getting into heaven. Christ has justified us. We don't have to worry about how our case will play out in the ultimate court. Christ has assured us of a favorable verdict. I don't think God intends for us to go through life dreading our court appearance at Judgment Day. I think God wants us to have peace through Christ. Indeed, Paul says in Romans 5, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can relax our worries, take a deep breath, and let the crucified Christ give us peace. To paraphrase theologian Paul Tillich, we can accept that God accepts us. This is part of what it means to have faith. To accept that God accepts us strictly on the basis of Christ and not by virtue of anything we have done, deserved, accomplished, earned, or merited. But preacher, someone might object, doesn't this doctrine endorse complacent Christianity? Doesn't this doctrine produce shoddy discipleship? Doesn't this uh, doctrine lead to anemic ethics. No, no, no. That's not the case at all. To the contrary, the original context of Galatians 2 has everything to do with discipleship, social ethics, and accepting others as they are. Justification not only determines our position before God, it also determines our disposition toward other people. It's vital to understand that Paul was addressing a specific situation in which certain teachers were leading the Galatians astray. They were saying that Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, had to be circumcised in accordance with Old Testament law in order to be fully accepted as Christians. In other words, they were saying that Gentile Christians had to do the works of the Jewish law, such as circumcision, in order to be justified. An additional problem in the Galatian churches was that Jewish Christians were refusing to eat with Gentile Christians because Gentile Christians didn't keep the Old Testament food laws like Jewish Christians did. Since Gentile Christians might sit down to eat pork or shellfish or some other food prohibited by Old Testament law, Jewish Christians spurned table fellowship with them. In view of all this, 
Paul wrote to the Galatians to say that Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish people who put their faith in Christ, should not be circumcised like Jewish Christians, nor should they have to adhere to Old Testament food laws like Jewish Christians, because Old Testament law is not binding for Gentiles. The reason, said Paul, is that Christ's death on the cross is enough all by itself. Christ's work on the cross is sufficient for everybody. Christ doesn't need assistance from the law or from us to achieve justification on our behalf. Last time I checked, he didn't say from the cross, it's not quite finished. Last time I checked, he didn't say from the cross, it's almost finished. Last time I checked, he said from the cross, it is finished. It's done. It's accomplished. It's taken care of. It's settled. Thus, in Paul's mind, for Gentiles to supplement their faith in Christ with works of the law, such as circumcision and dietary restrictions, was not only unnecessary, it was also unfaithful. It was to dishonor the cross of Christ. It was to nullify the grace of God. To add all these extra things was to live as if Christ died for nothing. As Bible scholar Richard Longenecker writes, nothing could be added to what Christ had already done. Paul's fervent desire was for Jewish Christians to welcome Gentile Christians into the church solely on the basis of their shared faith in Jesus Christ. In view of this larger context, Paul is not only teaching us to accept God's acceptance of us, Paul is also teaching us to accept God's acceptance of others. This is the flip side of justification by faith that rarely gets much airtime. Just as we are declared righteous, innocent, and not guilty on the merits of Christ alone, so is everybody else with faith. Either the cross justifies everyone equally or Christ died in vain. Either the cross is enough for all or Christ died for nothing. Either the cross is sufficient for everybody or God's grace is null and void. Either the cross breaks down dividing walls and hierarchies between social groups, cultural groups, racial groups, and ethnic groups or Christ's death is meaningless. The doctrine of justification by faith puts everybody together on level ground beneath the same cross. Thus, to allow demographic differences to supersede and disrupt our common faith in Christ is to reject the doctrine of justification by faith to settle for anything but egalitarian social ethics is to drag the doctrine of justification by faith through the mud. We can draw a straight line from justification by faith in Galatians 2.16 to Paul's radical social statement in Galatians 3.28. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. 
just as justification by faith determines our position before God as righteous, innocent, and not guilty. Justification by faith also determines our disposition toward others as humble, hospitable, and egalitarian. The ethic of justification by faith is love for all peoples. Which is why Paul eventually gets around to saying in Galatians 5, 6, that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. All that counts is faith working through love. The faith by which we are justified works through love. The thrust of Paul's argument in Galatians and a major theme of his entire apostolic ministry is that we come to Christ just as we are. We don't have to become somebody else to be accepted by Christ. Christ accepts us just as we are, no exceptions. He's already done all the work necessary to justify us. He's already accomplished everything required to set us right in God's court. He's already died on the cross for our sake. Which brings me back to Matlock. Looking back, I think one of my favorite things about the show was the consistency of the ending. Matlock was unfailingly reliable. The show was eminently predictable. From the time I cut on the TV, I knew that even though the storyline would differ from the previous episode, the final verdict would be the same. The end was already written, the conclusion was already determined, and I knew exactly what it would be. I would count on it every time. Inev inevitably, the jury would render the verdict on Matlock's client by saying, we find the defendant not guilty. Episode after episode after episode, not guilty, not guilty. Not guilty. The good news today is that because of the grace of Christ, we can count on a final verdict in real life. We can expect a certain verdict as well. We can anticipate a favorable verdict in God's court. We can count on this verdict throughout the entire course of our lives. The end is already written. The outcome is already decided. The result is already decreed. The verdict is already determined due to the grace of Christ, due to his faithfulness to God, due to his death on the cross, due to his resurrection from the grave, due to his great love for us, and all of people's, the final verdict we fully expect by faith is justified, righteous, innocent, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Thanks be to God.
Amen.